I just echo how wonderful it is to be led in worship by young people willing to get up here and use their talents and to share their faith in such a meaningful way. And what a joy it is to be able to get up and preach after that. We're on the third of our little mini-series on questions about God, and today's question actually is about us as well as God, and that is, do you really want God to come? Now, I saw a picture which, in a cute way, sort of set the tone for today's theme. Now, the people you'll see in the picture in just a moment will be foreign to probably anybody 50 and under, but don't worry so much about the people. We'll look at the caption, okay? So, So here it goes. All right, Andy Griffith and Opie, a few of you remember them, right? Okay. Opie says, Pa, when is Jesus coming back? Andy says, I don't rightly know, Opie. You see, we're not on the planning committee. We're on the welcome committee. I think that theme is throughout the scriptures. And we're taking two passages this morning. First from Mark 1, and then also from Hebrews, the ninth chapter. So let's turn, first of all, to Mark 1, verses 1 through 8. Let's hear the word of the Lord. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Our second passage comes from the ninth chapter of Hebrews, reading verses 24 through 28. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with hands, only a model of the true one, but into heaven itself, so that he might now appear in the presence of God for us. He did not do this to offer himself many times as the high priest enters the sanctuary yearly with the blood of another. Otherwise, he would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now, he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this judgment... So also Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Let's pray. Lord our God, we have read your word. Help us now to hear your word, not only in our minds, but in the depths of our soul. Accomplish your purpose for sending it out. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Many liturgical prayers end with the phrase, even so, come, 
Lord Jesus. One of our communion prayers ends with the very same words. And in fact, the end of the Bible, Revelation 22.20, ends with, He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. And why shouldn't we long for his coming? A new heaven, a new earth. No more sorrow, no more sighing, no more dying, no more pain, no more sin. Certainly sounds good to me. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. And this desire is not new to us. The Old Testament ends with the prophecy of Malachi. Malachi 4, verses 2 to 6. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go free, leaping with joy like calves led out to pasture. Look, I am sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. So for 400 years, God's people anticipated and waited and lived with the expectation of God coming in and breaking in again. Now I say breaking in again because God has a history of breaking in with new beginnings. We see it throughout the Old Testament. The Bible begins with, in the beginning, God. Then after the flood of judgment, he began again with Noah and his family. And then after he judged the world for their attempt to build a tower at Babel, God provided another new beginning. Genesis, the 12th chapter. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on, on earth will be blessed through you. God was saying to Abraham, there's a better world out there. Go to it. And so it continued. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham, and he formed a people, Israel. And then he broke in again and gave them a new beginning as he freed them from slavery through a process of, of plagues and disasters by opening up the sea so they could escape the enemy, by providing them with manna for 40 years and leading them with a cloud and pillar of fire. And then with Joshua as their leader, he led them into this promised land full of provision and blessing. It was a new beginning for the centuries that followed. And then he sent them judges to deliver them kings to rule them. And with each judge and with each king, it was a new beginning. Because when God breaks in, things do not stay the same. When God breaks in, it will always be a new beginning. So it's no wonder Mark began his gospel with the announcement of a new beginning. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus is from the common Hebrew name Joshua, which means Jehovah salvation. But Mark changes it. He adds to it by adding the uncommon word Christ, the anointed one. In other words, he says Jesus is not common. He's the promised one, the anointed one, the chosen of God. He's the Messiah. Mark's announcement would have been interpreted as anticipation and joy because it communicated God is breaking in again and we have a new beginning. 
And Jesus continually provided people with new beginnings. He drove out evil spirits. He healed all who came to him. He cured lepers. He ended paralysis. He gave sight to the blind. He calmed stormy seas. He raised the dead. He fed large crowds with just a few loaves and fish. Whenever and wherever God breaks in, there are new beginnings. Why shouldn't we long for His coming? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Really? Are you sure? Perhaps we should look at the rest of the story. Because the truth is, God's breaking in has consequences. I share three of those consequences this morning. First of all, God's breaking in brings something that is disturbing and uncomfortable. God did provide a new beginning with Abraham. But Abraham had to pull up roots, leave his home and his family and all of his friends, and go to a place where he had never been. That's uncomfortable. And God did provide a new beginning through Noah, but Noah had to endure the ridicule of neighbors and countrymen as he labored to build the ark. He had to live with the death of all he knew, his family, or his friends and his neighbors, and only his family survived. The new beginning was with simply them. Certainly that's uncomfortable. God broke into Jeremiah's life, called him to be a prophet. But his life was filled with rejection and opposition. He wound up writing a book we call Lamentations. That's that's disturbing. And God broke in into Mary's life, told her that she would give birth to his son. But she was young. She was a virgin. She faced the scorn and condemnation of her townspeople. And all she could offer in her defense was, but my baby came straight from God. That's mighty uncomfortable. And think of God breaking in through Jesus. Shortly after Jesus was born, innocent baby boys throughout the land were slaughtered. That's that's really disturbing. John 9, we read of Jesus healing a blind man. The blind man was then condemned for being healed, and then they turned around, the religious leaders turned around and condemned Jesus for healing him. That's that's disturbing. Jesus healed a demoniac, and the demoniac was so excited and so in love with Jesus, he wanted to follow Jesus, and Jesus said, No, you can't follow me. You go back home and you tell your family and friends what I've done for you. That's that's uncomfortable. And Jesus criticized the religious leaders of his day. As a religious leader, I can tell you, that's uncomfortable. Jesus said, to follow him, we have to deny ourselves, take up a cross daily, and follow him. And we have to lose our lives to find them. That's uncomfortable and disturbing. I clearly remember a wonderful mother and grandmother 
was battling a second round of cancer. Her x-rays had just shown another large tumor. And as some elders and I gathered with her to pray and lay on hands, we chatted for a while, and she said she was certainly ready to die, but that deep down in her heart she really wanted to live long enough to see her son-in-law graduate from seminary. And so we prayed for that as we laid on hands. Shortly after that time of prayer, she went back to the doctor. They drew the blood work and said, yep, signs are you have the cancer. They took more x-rays, but they couldn't see a tumor. She lived to see her son graduate from seminary, and then she died. That's exciting, and yet that's uncomfortable, because how do you explain that to a skeptical world or a medical community? Indeed, it can be uncomfortable and disturbing. Secondly, when God breaks in, sometimes life is difficult and confusing. As Ken will tell you, God broke into Job's life. And he allowed Satan to take away everything, all of his wealth and his children, to put Job into physical misery. Wow. That's difficult. That's confusing. And God sent Jesus as the Messiah. But he wound up being crucified. The mighty conqueror was conquered. Certainly confusing. And Jesus called his disciples to follow him, but they had to leave everything and everyone to be with him. That's, that's difficult. And Jesus said that those who follow him would be persecuted. That's difficult, confusing. Jesus broke into the life of a man named Saul. Saul, who's whose aim was to persecute and, if necessary, kill Christians and wipe out this movement. But Saul became Paul, the greatest missionary the world has ever known. But he endured beatings and floggings and imprisonments and shipwrecks and abuse and eventually execution. Talk about difficult and confusing During my teenage years, I made my profession of faith, stood before my church family and said Jesus was my Lord and Savior and that I, that I planned to, to follow him. It was a wonderful step to take, and yet little did I realize that my life would often be so very different from others around me, even friends, and at times, at times it was difficult. During my senior year of high school, my freshman year in college, God seemed to slam shut every door that I wanted to walk through for my future. It was confusing. In the midst of that, yes, he called me into ministry, so I went to seminary and tried to be faithful. When I graduated from seminary, I had two opportunities for, for a first place to go and serve. One here in, in Michigan where it was close to family and friends and a, and a large growing church, and the other in northwest Iowa where I knew not one person except former college roommate who no longer lived there. So that should be an easy choice, right? I mean, which one would somebody in the right mind take? But God, I found, was not for the easy, so Barb and I packed up and left family and friends, and away we went. It was difficult. It was confusing. We settled in Iowa, fell in love with the people, and said, we're here to stay. 
Shortly thereafter, the senior pastor with whom I worked was accused of some indiscretions, and the consistory looked to me, the still wet behind the ears pastor, to, to guide them through this time. And we struggled, we prayed, we did our best, and thought we had turned the corner, only to have God say, It's time for you to leave. And we were confused. But we packed up, we went to Holland. Had been there six months, and the senior pastor left. And a few months later, God said, it's time for you to go. We were tired of farewells. We were tired of saying goodbye. We were tired of packing up and moving. We were confused. That's the way it is sometimes when God breaks in with new beginnings. Some years later, our youngest son missed an entire year of elementary school because of constant headaches. No one, not even Chicago Children's Hospital or Mayo Clinic, were certain of the cause. I had a few conversations with God I had quite a few conversations with God during those times. I mean, here I was, trying faithfully to serve with all of my heart to be a pastor, and my son was going through all of this, and Lord, why him? Why not me? Confusing, difficult. But I was still learning that that seems to be life with God at times. Difficult and confusing when he breaks in. The third consequence of God breaking in will be that we face the judgment of God. Hebrews 9.27 And just as it is appointed for people to die once, and after this, judgment. Scripture is filled with similar passages. The wise preacher in Ecclesiastes 12.14 For God will bring every good deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Jesus said, John 5, 28 and 29, Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live, and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Paul in Romans 2, 16 stated, This will take place on the day when God will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. And Paul again in 2 Corinthians 5.10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. You get the message? We determine our future judgment in the here and now. You get the picture? Jesus will ultimately judge our lives. My doctor has a thick file on me. And every time I go see him, that history is a part of me. If I ever change doctors, it'll be a part of me with the new doctor. In the same way, God has a record of our lives. The record of my life, he has the record of your lives. And when we face Jesus, our history will be a part of us. But the thing is, all Jesus wants to know is what we think of him and whether or not we've lived for him. That's the ultimate final exam, and everyone will take it. So here's your question for this morning. How will you fare 
before Jesus. Will you be like the rich man in Luke 16 who died unprepared because he had spent time building bigger barns to gain more personal wealth? We be like Ananias who died in the midst of uncleanliness and sin? We be like Judas who died unfaithful and guilt-laden? Or we be like Timothy who died with his eyes heavenward, expectant and unafraid? Or like Paul who died delighted and unashamed? Realize that it doesn't matter to Jesus how many points or goals you score, how many leadership positions you held, how much money you've given, how many times you've attended worship, how nicely your kids have turned out, how good your grades are, how wonderful your business is, how physically fit and good-looking you are. All that will matter to Jesus will be, what have you done with and for him? We determine our future judgment in the here and now. So I ask again, do you really want God to come and to break into your life? Are you really ready to pray, even so, come, Lord Jesus? I pray that you are. But it all depends on what you do from this moment on. If you want to be ready to stand in front of Jesus, if you want to prepare the way for his coming again, the first thing to do, which we sang about, is give up control. In one of my previous congregations, we decided to have a weekend focus on healing and renewal within the Christian faith. So we brought in an RCA pastor who had been dealing in that kind of ministry and had the gift of healing. Our vice president of consistory was a little skeptical and hesitant, but agreed to go ahead and support it. The Sunday morning of that weekend, we set aside time in the service for healing ministry and prayers. At one point, the the guest pastor said, I sense that someone here has a severe back issue. Why not come forward and pray for healing? And be known to him, our vice president was that person. And in spite of his skepticism, the Holy Spirit lifted him out of the pew and brought him forward. Hands were laid on, he was prayed for, his back was healed, and he never had the issue again. And that was a time of rejoicing, but I also found myself a little bit perturbed. And I wondered, why hadn't my prayers been effective? Why hadn't the prayers of the congregation worked? Why do we have to bring somebody in from another state to to have it happen? And I was beginning to realize in a powerful way that God is in control, not me, not anyone else. And we need to let go of control. There's a wonderful, revealing scene near the end of John's Gospel in the 21st chapter, starting verse 17. reads like this. Jesus said to his disciples, Feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and went wherever you wished. But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. 
Then John adds, he said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And then he commanded, follow me. Turning his head, Peter noticed the disciple Jesus loved following right behind. In other words, Peter said, that doesn't sound good to me. What about your favorite sidekick, John? What's ahead for him? And Jesus' response was simply this. If I want him to live until I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. Give up control. Secondly, examine your values. Mary said, Luke 1, God scatters the proud, brings down rulers, lifts up the humble, fills the hungry, and sends the rich empty away. Luke 3, John the Baptist preached that we are to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The crowd said to him, what does that mean? And he responded, whoever has two shirts must give one to the man who has none. Whoever has food must share it. Some tax collectors came to be baptized and they asked him, teacher, what are we to do? Don't collect more than is legal, he told them. Some soldiers also asked him, What about us? What are we to do? And he said to them, Don't take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely. Ready for this one? Be content with your pay. And then Jesus told those Beatitudes. He said, You want to be blessed? Be poor in spirit. Mourn. Be meek. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Be merciful. Be pure in heart. Be a peacemaker. Oh, yes, and be persecuted. Thirdly, establish your priorities. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus said we are to deny ourselves, lose our lives, as we die for him. And why not? It's the way Jesus went. John chapter 12, verse 23. Jesus answered them, The hour has now come for the Son of Man to receive great glory. I'm telling you the truth. A grain of wheat remains no more than a single grain unless it is dropped into the ground and dies. If it does die, then it produces many grains. Those who love their own life will lose it. Those who hate their own life in this world will keep it for life eternal. Whoever wants to serve me must follow me so that my servant will be with me where I am. And my Father will honor anyone who serves me. They must follow me. And where was he going? To the cross. And fourth, believe the promise. Back to Hebrews 9, verse 28 and 29. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Are you ready to pray? Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Some years ago, I I read that in Green Bay, Wisconsin, there was such a huge demand for season tickets to the Packers football games, the Packers organization had developed something they simply called The List. At that time, that list had on it 30,000 names of people who were interested in buying season tickets, even names of some who were yet to be born. And the year I read about it, 
only 16 of those season tickets became available. At that rate, if no other names were added, it would take 6,000 years to empty that list. Aren't you glad that when it comes to the cross, there are no sellouts? There is no waiting list? There's room at the cross for me, and there's room at the cross for you. You can die to this life and be alive forever with Christ. Many years ago, there was a man who wanted to play in the Imperial Orchestra, but he had no musical skill, couldn't play a note. But he was a person of great wealth and influence, and he demanded to be allowed to join the orchestra so he could have the privilege of playing in front of the king. So the conductor agreed to let him in the orchestra, put him in the second row and gave him a flute, and he would sit amongst the flutists, and when music was played, he'd put the flute to his mouth and just pretend that he was playing. This went on for two years. And then a new conductor was hired. One of the first things he said was that he was going to personally audition everyone in the orchestra to make sure that they could all meet his standards. One by one, they appeared before the conductor and played. So fearful was this rich man of being exposed that when his turn came, he feigned illness. So the conductor said, I'll have you examined by a doctor. The doctor said, he's fine. And at long last, he had to admit he was a fake. It's kind of where the phrase was born. On that day, he had to face the music. That's the question this morning. Are you ready to face the music? Death will come. And after that, the judgment. But if you stood with Jesus, he'll stand and face the music with you. What will you do with Jesus now? He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I'm coming soon. Can you say, Amen? Come. Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, it becomes so easy to live life our way, to be so absorbed and wrapped up in the busyness of life to neglect our relationship with you or to make promises to you and then fail to live them out. Lord, you know our hearts. You know the hearts of everyone who's here, who's watching on the live stream and who will watch the recording later. My prayer this morning is that you will stir hearts, each of our hearts, to challenge us to deeper levels of relationship with and living for you. And for any, Lord, who have never said, Lord Jesus Christ, I want to live for you. You're my Savior and my Lord. Take control of my life. 
May this be the moment when they say, yes, here I am, Lord, and break into their life and bring a new beginning with all of its confusion and doubt and all of its disturbing things, but with the promise that you'll help them face the music and spend eternity with you. Lord, do what you need to do to draw us to yourself. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.